welcome back to Lifting the Lid on the official Emirates FA Cup podcast. Or hello for the first time if you're new here. Thanks for joining us. It's another big one today, one of the true greats of the game. A born goal scorer and a genuine hero for so many players and fans alike. It's Ian Wright. Wrighty's had an amazing career, coming to the game later than most, but coming in like a freight train and going on to be voted Player of the Century for Crystal Palace by the fans before becoming Arsenal's highest ever goalscorer, since surpassed only by none other than Thierry Henry. This episode is called Grassroots to FA Cup Glory and charts the path Wrighty took in his career, going from being rejected by Brighton and Southend in his teens via a short spell in prison to lifting the FA Cup and League Cup in the same season with Arsenal. And, of course, winning the Tournoi with England. So here it is, Tubes and Sid's conversation with Ian Wright. Welcome to a Lifting the Lid. Uh, Sid, this is normally the time I say, how you doing? But I know how you're doing, because you are absolutely buzzing, my friend, aren't you? Oh, this is... Uh... There's not many times you can say you can interview your hero and your idol. Um, but today's the day. Today's the day. And for me, this player, one of the most charismatic players to play in this country, one of the most natural goal scorers to play in this country, um, won medals, won Premier Leagues, won the FA Cup. It's Mr Ian Wright. Ian, right, right, right. Ian, right, right, right. Don't get bigger than that. And what are we talking to Mr Ian, right, 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 about? We're going to be talking to Wrighty about evolution. Uh, his journey from coming from non-league, from the bottom of the ladder all the way to the very top, breaking records, scoring goals, uh, bumps in the road. It's not been easy for him. So we're going to concentrate on that journey. Right, let's just do that right now then. It's Mr Ian, right, right, right. Ian, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was lying down. Sid, as I love you, man, you know Where's that. Where's your intro? Uh, I'm really, it's really flattering. It's really flattering. It's always, it's really, um, it's always quite um, embarrassing, you know, when people do, you've got to sit there and people do that. But, you know, it's something that I'm quite proud of simply because I would never have dreamt it when I was something like, when I was 15, 16, I'm doing a lot of talking at the minute about my, my younger time, but it wasn't even in the, it wasn't even in the hemisphere, what, what's happened to me, nowhere near it. But we've had like, you know, three or four guests. Have, we haven't had many guests, but three or four of them have said, we said, who's your idol growing up? It's always you. Seriously? It, it's seriously. Jermaine Beckford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it Bobby Zamora? Bobby Zamora. Uh, Pennant. Pennant. Yeah. Myself. Yourself. It's so the thing is with me, I, like, I wasn't even a striker. I wasn't oh, no, even like, is, like, yeah. a flared player, but like, I was growing up, I went to Crystal Palace. That, mm. like, I used to go and watch Palace. I was just, you know, lived the stones far away from Sellers Park. Mm. And this, like, right here was just, the way he celebrated goals, the way he just banged goals in. He wore his heart on his sleeve, and I think that's just what probably caught, I'd imagine, everyone, like, fan, not just even fans, mm. like, players growing up, they wanted to be, like, right. How does that make you feel? Um, well, it's, it's, it's strange, because I don't know if it's because of the fact that I didn't have the, the youth team upbringing, where I played football very much um, off the cuff. And I remember when I finally got... Because the only trial I got through was, was, was Chris Palace trial when I was 22. By that time, I'd had enough. The rejection was killing me. I didn't even tell people around the areas when I used to go for the trials or the trial at Brighton. The last one I had was the trial at Brighton when I was 19, and that killed me, finished me, because I couldn't do any more. And um, all the trials I had when I was younger, with the district teams and the teams, Millwalls, all of them, Orient, Palace, Charlton, all of them. And I didn't get in any of the trials. And when I did get through the Crystal Palace trial, I remember 
after, because I had a two week trial, and Steve Koppel just said to me, no matter what happens, never, never change the way you play football once you get into that third of the pitch. Yeah. Feel, be free, do, do what you do, just play how you play. Um, he said there's times, and I used to get so much stick from the older guys because I came straight from the Sunday morning football yeah. mm. to the Palace first team in the second division, and it was a massive change. Like the fitness, how good the players were, the fact that you were con I was constantly thinking to myself, I don't belong here, I don't belong here. Did you think that, yeah? Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah. Yes, I did, because the problem, the reason why I thought that is because I weren't fit enough for a start, and I was doing things that they were way ahead of me in respects of knowing what my next move might have been, you know, knowing that like, my body weren't at the right shape when you're receiving the ball. And I didn't think the first three, four days, there's no way I thought that Palace would have taken me. But then um, we played in a couple of like friendly games and I'd just done a couple of things. Mm. One of the best overhead kicks I've ever scored was in that Palace trial. <laughs> and it was one of the, that, and I, I don't know if that was it, that was the moment, but like, you know, when you go on trial, they don't talk to you. People don't talk to you, the other guys don't talk to you properly, you know, they might pass the ball to you every now and then. But when I scored that goal and afterwards people started talking to you, they started to see you doing a bit. Mm. I think I got a bit of confidence from that. And it's off of the back of that, Steve Koppel said that to me, never change the way you play in the last third. And I never did. Anything I felt like doing in the last third of the pitch, I would just do it. I would just try it. Shots from anywhere, everything. Tricks, any I'd do anything. Yeah. Like I used to play Sunday morning football. The problem I had when I, just before I got to Palace with the Sunday morning football is that I was scoring like three and four goals a game on a Sunday because you've got guys putting out fags before they're starting. <laughs> yeah. It was that little kind little of game. <laughs> Still finishing off their last like beer. Finish off the last beer, frying the can. What, Barry, last night was exactly. quality. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of vibe. So when you're scoring two and three goals a game against that kind of um, opposition, you're not really thinking you're doing anything of any note. So I used to do a thing where I used to try and actually score by hitting the post first. I used to just have shots. What you can I hit the bar from here? I love so, that. I love so you know that. what I mean. So in the end, I didn't realise it's, it's actually honing finishing, but because it, it's, it's, uh, it's, is it bad for me? It's, it got boring in that football yeah. scoring goals, sort of that many goals on a Sunday. It was it was it was boring. So I was trying to score different goals. Didn't even realise I was honing my skills. Well, people start saying to you, why do you keep hitting the post? Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't often that you hit the post. No. You'd miss. Sometimes you hit the post and maybe once every five, six games, you might hit the post yeah. and it goes in. But sometimes I'd hit the post and it'd be like, I scored a goal. <laughs> People say, what's he celebrating that <laughs> for? You know, but that's the kind of thing I do. I just literally shoot from anywhere. Lovely. So look, I want to take it right back to the beginning. Mm. Growing up, mm. when you was young, first memories of football and like, who is your, who is your heroes? Who did you look up to? Who did you want to emulate? Right, well, remember the first, the first real game um, a football I saw, which was like, that was the 1970 World Cup with that with Pele and that, oh. I was like seven. And it was like, um, I think that, that got me going, um, watching them in colour, you know what I mean, yeah. as well. Got a colour, got a colour TV, um, watching them. I remember watching that FA Cup final that year as well, Leeds and Chelsea. And I remember they had to play again at United yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. Dave Webb scored. That was it. So that was the first one. So Pele was obviously, Rivellino and Limlock were the ones I first started to see, I started to get interested in them. And then as, obviously as you get going, it was Kevin Keegan, Laurie Cunningham, yeah. and, and mainly Cyril Regis. Mm. Um, those are the people- Laurie Cunningham doesn't get the mention that he should do. No. He, was a, he was an unbelievable player, wasn't he? Unbelievable player. I remember he signed to Real Madrid. Madrid. We went to Real Madrid, but the thing with 
with Laurie. When you listen to Del Bosco when he used to talk about Laurie, um, Laurie, Laurie Cunningham, he said even the players in training used to treat him badly and kick him and all sorts of stuff. He was the one. He, I remember when he went to Real Madrid, he used to take corners with the outside of his right foot, stuff like that. But like, I remember he was somebody that he kind of flashed there really quickly, came from Orient, you know what I mean? Obviously went to West Brom and stuff like that. But then he went over there, but people didn't see him out of black community, sorry. Yeah. He was phenomenal. He was an unbelievable player. And I remember meeting him. Um, you remember that after wow. the 1988 FA Cup when Wimbledon won and they done that moon thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laurie Cunningham was in that team and we had to play them on the Monday in a kind of testimonial game. And Laurie Cunningham was there and I was literally dumbstruck. It's the first time I'd ever met him. You know, I mean, by now I've been playing for two and a half years and he was sat there and he was like substitute for him or something. I don't know what it was, but I literally couldn't even speak to him. You know, he nodded to me and everything like that. And I was desperate to speak to him, but I couldn't. Um, and it's one of the things I regret more than anything in the whole world. I didn't speak to him when I had the opportunity to speak to him. And uh -huh. um, what age did you realise you had a talent? You, you know, you could, you know, score goals? Um, probably... Uh, I, I don't know, probably about nine, nine or so, because it was all about scoring when I, when I was younger. I, I remember saying to people, I don't remember passing to somebody from the, from the time I started playing till about 12. <laughs> I really cannot remember passing <laughs> to people. And I remember my teacher, my teacher, Mr Pigden, because when I used to get close to the goal, I used to blast it, and he was the one who taught me about looking where the space is. Yeah. And he told me that when I was like eight, and I never, ever forgot that. I always done it, always finished. You never see me go around a goalkeeper unless he really comes out and commits himself, then you go round. Yeah. But I'd never do that thing where you go up to a goalie and do a bit and try and go round him. Always look for the space. Always, he always said, finish in the side net and it's the best one. Score beautiful goals, he used to say. Mm. And so once he'd done that, I just started to concentrate on that. And I used, to, I used to finish pretty well at that age. This is why I was really... I was really um, disappointed when I used to go to the trials because I scored goals on trials. All sorts of goals. I could kick with my left foot, my right foot. What would they say to you then? <sighs> they didn't what? say anything because none of the... Um, like when we went to the district, um, I never got, a, I never got a approached by a scout. Never. What? It's funny, when I signed for Palace, all the scouts would say, yeah, we heard about you, we heard about you and this and that, but never got approached by a scout. It's mad because like strikers are born to score goals. You've got a natural yeah. goal scorer scoring goals, but I mean, the only way that I could probably look at it is if to say that you didn't have the tactical or technical... Maybe. Because so you didn't have that yeah. upbringing. You come literally straight from... Literally. Probably Park, didn't pass South it, London. Probably didn't pass, didn't pass like, as well, yeah. 11 was my first. I went for the trial with Orient. I had a trial at Charlton, Palace, Millwall. Even when I went over my trial with London, didn't, didn't get in a London trial. And the three fellas I went with, I went with Henry Laville, um, Steve Pittman and Keith McPherson. And four of us went from Samuel Pepys and them three got in, no. went to Rains Park and wow. we had to come back on the bus and them three would get talking about, oh, brilliant. And they went on a trip to, to New York and everything. Because my mate who I went, ended up playing with, Andy Gray, got into that London yeah. side because I was in the London trial on the same team as Andy. And I remember setting him up. I was playing left wing in that trial. I remember setting him up. He scored a goal and everything. And like they named the names out and I didn't get called out. Devastating. It happened so many times. As soon as the names starting to get read out in trials, I knew that they, I weren't going. It was honest. Even when I think of it now, it's like, mm, so horrible. It brings me back to a horrible place. But then, you, but they, but then to be fair, you just went, <laughs> and they all just went. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it, was a, it was a weird time for me yeah. because 
I, I, could, I couldn't deal with rejection through that time, so it was very tough for me. I didn't even tell people I used to go on trials because when you come back to the, to the, the community and that, you tell them, yeah, did you get in now? They say, yeah, he's not, because you're not all that. When you're playing with us, you're all right, but with them, and then that was in my head. Mm. I genuinely didn't think I was a good player through that kind of adolescence and teen style times. So much talent, so much raw talent mm. comes out of South London, doesn't it? Yes. Your broccoli, so much has come through after you as well. Why, why is it that, is it just the park, the street football? I, the... Honestly, it must be something like that because like you see them now, they do the cages and they're in the, in the, the little enclosed, little, yeah. you know, when you, they're honing their skills. Yeah, Wilfred Zaha talk about it and all the skills what he used to do. And like, even, even when, like, like Rocky and that, when Rocky was youth team at Arsenal, he'd, he'd still come and play up the park with us we'd play for hours just play Enough, for hours yeah. and it's like there was even when I was younger like those three guys I mentioned there mm -hmm. Henry Laville was at Charlton he was meant to be the next the great the next greatest thing Steve Pittman was an unbelievable right back and Keith McPherson played for West Ham for a while and then he was at Reading they were the three of them were just when I was younger I just thought yeah they're definitely going to make it mm. all from South London I don't know I don't know what it is, something in the yeah. water, I don't know what it is. You look at the amount of players that are coming from South London even now, I haven't got a clue what it is, but all I remember when we was younger is that everybody played football yeah. and it's like everybody was pretty good. Yeah. You know, played for hours, yeah. everybody's pretty good. I never got tired playing football. And it was all different ages, wasn't it? It doesn't matter yeah. if you was five or six, yeah. you're in there with 13, 14-year-olds, yeah. everyone's in there together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, ain't got, I don't know what it is, but, you know, we do produce out of South London. Amazing stuff. No, away from the football pitch, mm. your upbringing was quite tough, wasn't it? Well, it was tough because um, in the, the household I was in, was, it was very tough. It was very abrasive. My stepdad, my mum was, you know what I mean? There was a lot of drink, a lot of stuff going on in there. And it, my, my older brother, who came from Jamaica when he was like 10, we didn't really bond. But my brother Morris was the one who, was, who teased me to death. So he actually teased me to the point where I practiced everything. And un, unknowingly and unwittingly from him, because he's a big brother, he's just teasing his yeah, little yeah. brother. He literally taught me everything I needed to know. Because he was quite natural. You know, left foot, right foot. He could, he could even write with his left hand and his right hand. Wow. He could do everything. He's yeah. good like that. He just wasn't as quick. He wasn't as quick as me. And, he, and I remember we played together. It was one of the greatest ever. Because I, all I wanted to do was impress him and play with him. And we played against a school called Fairlawn. And he scored a goal. And every goal I scored in my career, yeah. he always came out and said... Not as good as the goal I scored against Fairlawn. <laughs> Except the goal I scored against Everton. He scored as my goal against Everton. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, went, that, yeah, that, yeah, that was right. a bit better. Yeah, right, but yeah. like, it was the place where he was the only one who I got any kind of like love and tenderness from. Everything else was very abrasive, very raw, very rough. Nasty things said. You know, you get a clump, get a beating every now and then. It wasn't nice. So when I used to go outside the house, especially when I played football, which I wanted to do more than anything else, mm. if I was losing or it didn't quite go my way, bam straight into a fight yeah so it was that that kind of angry little guy who just was like it didn't really want to go on because you know what was going to happen somewhere along the line you're going to get some kind of abusive kind of comment or a clip or something so it was one of those things where i used to stay out till all hours and literally go in have your bath go straight to bed you know so it wasn't a place that i wanted to spend a lot of time no. in the house and football was when i came out it's all i wanted to do and if that didn't go well you end up in a fight. I did anyway, because that's right. how I kind of expressed myself at that time. It wasn't good for me. It wasn't a good time. So you've got a documentary coming out. Yes. Home Truths. Yes. Um, now, uh, first of all, just explain, I mean, it's, it's obviously about your upbringing and, and the home truths that, yeah. that you grew up in, but how, how difficult was it to, 
to go back to your roots and film There's that. tough, Sids. Yeah. It's really tough because what I've done, I've done a, um, a Desert Island Discs. Mm. And they've been asking me for years to do it, right? And I, did, no, I didn't do it because... I don't know why I didn't do it. It was because I was maybe thinking about the music rather than the actual... The, the times, that were things that was happening in the time, and then you put the music to it. So then when I finally did do it, I did that. I remembered the music and I remember what was happening at that time. And then when I explained to people what was going on in my house, my stepdad, how he used to beat my mum and how he used to beat us and how my mum used to be with us and everything. Honestly, it was like a tsunami of like letters and people, correspondence, and people wanted to find out. And in the end, I, I genuinely, I had to do that. I yeah. had to do the documentary as tough as it was, simply because people need to know that if you are a perpetrator, if you're an abuser, or you are abused, you can find help. Because that's what I needed help. I didn't realise. I yeah. didn't even realise I was a victim until I started doing it. Because you just get on with it. And at the time, a lot of it was happening in and around you. But when we was happening, it's just something that you dealt with. But you don't realise it's a massive problem. We still have the problem now. You know, it's like, like 1.6 million women, like last year, abused. And there's a child present 90% of yeah. the time. So people don't realise the effect it has on kids. So I had to do that, Siddhas. I had yeah. to do that. And it's... Once I've done it, you know, I've seen little clips of it. It's very tough to watch for me. But um, now that I'm, it's out there, I'm quite pleased that it will do what it needs to be done. What needs to be done. Well, I've, I've watched it and, <laughs> you know, I was, I was said to you before, I was, I was welling up at one of the scenes where your stepdad, yeah. Match of the Day, would come yeah. on and he, he'd make you turn around the other way and look at the wall. Yeah. And when you were describing that and talking through it, I was, well, I was watching it. Yeah. I was just sort of... That's the one, Tubes, that's the... That's the the most, um, viv that, that memory comes back more than anything with me. And remember, I do matches there every week. Mm. So when people see, when it goes from, whether it's the news or something, you know that bit where it comes in, the dun, 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 yeah. So when that came up, we had to turn around. I had to be close to the wall. It was horrible. The wall, I used, the wall was cold. You know what I mean? My brother, my brother would be like there. So you, I, it was a claustrophobic kind of vibe. It's like being close tight up to this here mm. and you couldn't move. And then when he touched the wall, the wall was cold. So when I went back and done that bit, that brought back some memories. I didn't realise what was still there. It was very raw for me. But every time I hear the Match of the Day theme tune, you know, when you guys see, you, you guys see it, the tune comes on, blah, 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 bing. They do all the, the different images. Then you see Gary Lineker. Music stops to see Gary Lineker. With me, it's always a moment. It's something. Because yeah. I remember when that music came on, if he was back at the house, you, I know that I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to I'm gonna have to be facing this wall. And then even my mum would have an argument and you can hear him doing this stuff. My brother would cover my ears. And so it was all very, you know what I mean? It was all very like, oh, it's stressful, bro. Mm. It's really tough. And like, I remember when I explained that, um, again, when that comes back to you, you go, you can't no, help it. I'm not surprised. I'm you not surprised how horrendous. But again, it's, it's one of those, it's a situation where, you know, it, you have to speak about it because people have to know that there's help. So that's the reason. You, you will help that. so many people. Yeah. Well, you hope so. You, you hope will, so because 100%. a lot of people are going through that yeah. domestic abuse and mental abuse on kids and the effects it has on them. But like I say, I was fortunate enough to be able to go on, get help. You forgive. You know, there was times in my life where, <clears throat> when you're going through that stage of my life when I was so young and nobody liked you, everybody was like, if they saw me, they saw me, they weren't bothered. So yeah. you turn 22, become a footballer, all of a sudden you're a patriarch. Everybody loves you. Yeah. All the, all the extended family. You go to my mum's house on a Sunday, it was like the Godfather. <laughs> it's like the Godfather's <laughs> wedding. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, God, what do they want now? Oh, they need this. And that, that's what it was like all of a sudden. How did I that turned, make you feel, though? Yeah. Well, it was horrible, too, simply because you know that these people are in and around you now. 
Because we're talking about people who come to the house. When I was younger, they'd say to my mum, don't bring him. You can bring that, don't bring him. Because he's the naughty one. Yeah. Right? So then all of a sudden, you see people coming to your mum's house on a Sunday. You know, I go to my mum's house for a Sunday dinner. And then you end up, you do, you feel like, you feel like, oh God, and you're handing out, making sure people are okay because they've got genuine stories, but you feel used. And it was a time for me, it was a very confusing time for me because all of a sudden everybody loves you. Whereas you don't have, I've never had that. You know what I mean? It's always fighting on your own, trying to find your way and this and that. You know what I mean? And to be honest, when I, mean, I met Sean's mum, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sean's mum was amazing for me, yeah. Sharon. Yeah. You know, then Sean at the time was he like two and a bit. And what happened with me enabled me to make sure that me as a dad, you know, some people, they don't break the cycle. And that's what it's about, Sidious. Mm. That's what abuse is about. If you're an abuser, you've got to break the cycle. And I knew that when I saw Sean and he didn't have his dad around, I, then I adopted Sean, brought him on as my son. He's my son. I said, that's not going to happen to him. So what it's done, it's enabled me to make sure that he had a proper upbringing from a dad. You know what I mean? So in the end, you know, it's a kind of a, a good foundation for me to be able to say, when I think of those bad times, I could just think of Sean. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. amazing. I suppose this has answered a lot of questions mm. throughout your, yeah. your yeah. life, not just even your, your childhood that you was probably a little bit lost by or just yeah. fell by the wayside with. You just let, let a lot of stuff just sort of carry on with life and now yeah. you've, you've sort of clo hopefully you've closed a few chapters. Well, the thing is, yes, it is, and you're absolutely right there. You close a few chapters and, and the thing is, you have to close those chapters for yourself. Mm. Sometimes you're feeling like, I need an apology from them, I need this, you don't. You need to be able to accept it yourself and move on because then you've got to provide and do what you're doing for your family who's coming. You've got to do your stuff. You can't continue to, to live in that past, yeah. otherwise it just festers. It just, yeah. You turn into a nasty person, you turn into a hateful, vindictive, nasty person. You have to let it go, forgive, understand like what my mum might have been going through, mm. look what she was going through, what he probably went through. They would never tell you their story, but what you've got to do is you've got to say, well, that was their story. I'm going to move on and forgive them for me yeah. so as I can then go on and, and carry on and bring my kids up how they should be brought up. And that's what's happened. Mm. It's taken a long time, 50 years. Yeah. You know, wow. 50 years it's, it's taken, you know what I mean? And I feel like I'm in a great place. Brilliant. Great to hear that. And how much did football help? Football was, football was the redeeming factor in everything for me. Everything for me... You know what I mean? Wherever I'm, I need solace and I get it out of football, whether it's watching football, you know, it's talking about football, you know, it's always football. Well, let's talk about football then. Yeah, man. <laughs> let's talk about the FA Cup. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, like I said, like, the, the first one I saw was the, the Leeds. And I think I've watched them ever since then. I remember the one when, I think, some Mick Jones crossed it, Alan Clark diving ahead of it. Because that's where I first saw the striker with a number eight on his back. It was Alan Clark. Mm. Oh, okay. That's the first time I saw it because I used to love Alan Clark. I don't think I ever saw him miss the target. And this is where my affinity with Leeds started. I used to love Leeds when I was a kid. But like... Um, I could you score that goal against him and that chip over... It wasn't, <laughs> yeah, but it was not personal. <laughs> you know? It was Leeds It was strictly business. It was John, John Lukic. <laughs> yeah, but what I try to do with Luke is make him have absolutely... No, again, thought about my teacher when I scored that goal. The thing with that one, I wanted John Lukic to have absolutely no chance. Like my, goal, my teacher used to say, don't give him no chance. So when I see John Lukic's face, I said, don't blame him. There's <laughs> nothing chance. to do with you, Lukey. Don't even think about that. That's done. You can't save that. Those goals, those are the goals what I love and get, get joy from, simply because it's what Steve Coppel said. Mm. All I remember when the ball came, I remember Dennis flicked it to me and it kind of hit me in the mm. face. 
So then it was down in and around here. And I remember it was Weatherall. All yeah. I could see was his feet, because all I'm trying to do is get it to a position where I can then get it and, what, am I going to pop it off the dent or am I going to do something? But then all I saw was him backing off, then I saw the line. And then what Dave Seaman always says is that when your head's down, that's when the goalkeeper's probably looking to see, right, where's my... Take your shot then, yeah. do your stuff. So once I saw the line, I just went, let's chip it. He could have easily been there and just caught it, but when it goes in, you know what I mean, you hear that, that clapping. You know the clapping yeah. afterwards? <laughs> it's that kind of clapping where people have yeah, seen something. Well done, right? Honestly, yeah. that's nice. You know when you watch it back, yeah. sometimes you watch it back and you see that. That's when you think to yourself, Jesus Christ, I'm... I love that. I love that. What's the feeling like when you score a goal? You can't Any explain goal. it. No, yeah, I... it's, it's impossible yeah. to explain. Um, especially for me, not believing. Even when, I, even when Steve Koppel told me... He, he took, I remember I had to play against Kingstonian. Um, it was like the Friday before the Monday when the trial finished. I'd done okay, but like I said, for the first week, it, was, it wasn't happening. So then I played in the game against Kingstonian, and then he took me, they took me off at half-time, and I thought, well, that's it. He took me off. Steve Koppel was watching, and then I remember him saying to me, you have to report to the, to the ground tomorrow, Steve Koppel, they, they want to see you. I'm thinking, Jesus, why don't you just tell me tonight? You know what I mean? So I went back to the ground, and sat, um, the next day, told me I'm, he's going to sign me. Mm. Honestly. Which... You see, like you say, how do I describe a goal? That moment is the greatest moment of my life, simply because when I left his office, it's the only time I had pure clarity in my life in respects of where I'm going. Because up to that point, I was just flitting between jobs, didn't know what I was doing, didn't have any kind of... Um, didn't have any trade, didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. All I knew was that I was going to have to do something, because obviously Sean Bradley's born. I had to do something. And I, that bus ride home was the, the first time I had total clarity in where I'm going from now to then and that was I'm going to work one million percent on myself to be the best I could be and that's the, it happened just like that and I'm thinking I'm going to the ground for him to say listen thanks very much good luck we're going to we're going to send you down to I don't know Billy Smith at Dulwich Amulet and yeah. that you know what I mean but he told me he's going to sign me and honestly it was amazing I couldn't stop crying on the bus People must have been looking at me. Well, you're proud, weren't you? That's how much it was, it, was, it was really strange. Yeah. It, was, it was one of the strangest moments because I think it was... I think that was the happiest, that was the happiest moment in my life because everything that happened from the time I started playing culminated in me being told then that I'm going to be a professional. And I actually said to Steve Koppel, so I signed it for free. I said, so, so am I a professional? Because I'm... So I'm <laughs> Because what, what happens is something happened to you, something goes... Yeah. Yeah. You're a professional. He said, yeah, you're a professional footballer. So I'm a professional now, yeah? He said, yes, you're a professional footballer. I can just imagine you doing that as well. And, uh, no, I genuinely, I genuinely said, so can I say I'm a professional footballer? Like, if I decide, if I decide something, what do I put? Professional footballer. So when I'm on the bus, all I was thinking was, I'm a professional footballer. It's, honestly, it's the best moment the in my life. The bus driver going, where, where, are you, where are you off to? That's I'm a professional footballer. I'm a professional footballer, <laughs> I'm just going home. Did you quickly realise it was professional? Like, so then when you was in Palace, you signed your forms, like you've done, now you're playing. You're in a dressing room that's, you know, week in, week out. Is it now the step up to go, right, yeah. this is business So this now. is where I knew now that um, the fitness was going to... I will get the fitness, so now it's a case of... Now I've got to learn how to be a striker. I had Trevor Haylock. Remember Trevor Haylock? Yep. I remember, I remember watching Trevor Haylock at Millwall when I was, like, 11. You know, they bought him for something like 100 grand or something, whatever it was. Um, or was it John Mitchell they bought 100 grand for? But anyway, it was Trevor... So Trevor Haylock, I had to play Trevor Haylock 
one of the best educations I could have because he would he'd hold the ball up. He'd literally tell me where to go and he was telling me, yeah. get over there. You know what I mean? The ball's coming here, get in there. When that ball comes to me, I'm going to win the flick on. Go there. He didn't. So what he taught me is to just to gamble. Things like I had to learn things quickly. Learn about offside. Because remember, when I'm playing Sunday morning football, I could give him five yards. If mm. he's standing where you are, I could stand there yeah, yeah, and yeah. get over there. Now I've got to learn how to bend the run. You know, I've got to learn that. I've got to make that run. And when the ball comes into me, it has to stick because people are running off of you. And that was one of the things that was one of the hardest things to learn, is to learn that I'm making a run and a linking, linking play for somebody else to get in. So I had to do a lot. It was a, very, it was a lot of um, hard work, a lot of watching a lot of videos of strikers similar to me who make runs in behind, but then get into a position where you could cross it, get into a position where you have to link it off. It was, it was a fast track, which was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, I lapped it up. I could not be on the training ground long enough. Couldn't be. Brilliant. What was the hardest thing to learn that you, when you thought, oh, I've just got to work on that, I've just got to keep working on that? The, the first touch. First touch? Yeah, because like when you're playing Sunday morning football, and I used to say, it's what I said to Sean and Brad when they, used, when they were kids, if you want to play at a high level, sort your, sort your touch out. First touch has to stick all the time. Wherever it comes into, it's got to be retained. And I found that out, and I found that out. For me, it was very tough to the point where all the way through my career, it was the one thing that I was more nervous about than anything. And this is why the game, um, Italy, in Rome, England against yeah, yeah. Italy in Rome, was one of the most nervous I've ever been going into a game because I had to do all of that. I had to chase myself. It was me and Teddy. Teddy was behind Teddy Sheringham. And I had to make sure that I did link player to hold. And it was one of the most nervous I've ever been in a game. But all I ever done in training was link, try to make sure that the, when it came into me, I, I retained it. It's the only thing I was worried about. It's the hardest thing for me. So, you're at Palace. Mm. It's 1990. Mm. It's the build-up to the FA Cup. <laughs> so, you, you obviously... <laughs> the thing is, though, you, you get injured, yeah? You yeah. break your leg. Yeah. You break your leg. So, how hard was that when you're injured mm. and the team are going oh. through the rounds and you're thinking, am I going to make this? Am I and not? And you know the thing is, as well, Sids, is that I'm thinking exactly that. And the time when I broke... Because I broke it earlier in the season against... It was the fibula. Yeah. I broke it early in the season against Liverpool and then I came back and obviously I was rushing back. Let's mm. make no mistake. I think his name was Paul Blades as a centre-half. Mm. And it, he just sived me, went again. And because we were doing... We had a really good cut draw. And like, I think... I can't remember who we had, we had next, in that, but I knew that we, we had a good cut draw. And the time for me to be fit for the final from the time I got injured was literally something like eight weeks or something like that. It was so it was constant work from here, yeah. hoping that they would get through the rounds, yeah. get through the rounds. So I'm doing it and it's tough because they're winning games, building momentum. They're starting to play a role where Mark Bright was up top, then it had John Solarco and I can't remember who else, Phil Barber. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Trickling Phil Barber, he was cool because he used to trickle everything in the goal. <laughs> so he had Phil Barber, um, Mark Bright and John Solarco and it was working well with them three up top. And then we got Liverpool, mm. went through and got Liverpool in the, semi, in the semi-final. They beat us 9-0 earlier on. Yeah. That, was a, that was a wake-up call because yeah. I remember when we went up Palace, the first place I wanted to go to was Anfield. Went there, got beat 9-0. Oh. Welcome. <laughs> I'd never want to go there Proper again. Proper welcome. Yeah. Real welcome. How crying. About, how, yeah, I was going to say, was on that just brutal? It, crying on pitch because it wasn't a case of we were, you know when you've seen, I've seen... I saw Leicester beat Southampton 9-0 and it was horrible to watch. Yeah. 
And I can imagine for anybody watching, it's horrible to watch, but we weren't, we weren't like not trying, and we were just not good enough. Couldn't get near them. And it was one of those situations where Liverpool done that to a team every year. They gave a team a good hiding. Yeah. And they were literally, it was like pinball. They were amazing. And I remember, so we get to the semi-final. What a game it was as well. Unbelievable. Beat them 4-3, but... Did you, when, did you travel? Obviously yeah, I travelled, I had a boot on. So, right. I still had the boot on. So there. The thing, what I'm most proud of with that situation, but because we ended up beating them, and it was one of the most emotional I've ever been on the sideline. We ended up beating them, and then I had another couple of weeks where um, I had to, because I still had the boot on at that stage, where I had the final. And it was, again, like I was just anything to, to get fit. Yeah. And Steve Koppel, he... he um, He'd done some games, some practice games, and I took the boot off, I was ready training, but I was staying out of training, wasn't jumping into people and stuff like that, people weren't tackling me. And so he, he organised two games. Um, and in both of the games, I was just like, weren't getting near anyone, just laying it off, yeah. not getting into tackles. Anybody got anywhere near me tackling? Um, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd kind of say, well, yeah. And I remember after the second game, Steve Cockwell said, listen, because the final was, so we, he organised the game the Tuesday, the final was the Saturday. And he said, I'm going to do, I'm going to organise another game on Tuesday. And if you play in that game like you played in those two, what I've just seen, you're not involved, not going to put, you're not going to be involved. And so this was the Thursday, and the training. And so honestly, it was the worst four or five days of my life. Because I could, I could, I could totally understand players who were injured coming back and having to go through that barrier. Mm -hmm of just letting go. Yeah. And I remember, remember that the, the FA Cup means the world to me. It's the mm. whole world to me. You proper love the yeah. FA Cup, don't you? It's the world to me. Yeah. It means the whole world. I've watched every single one since I can mm. remember. And I, had to, I remember playing that game on the Tuesday. I was very nervous going into the game for the whole week, like I say. And when I went into it, it was a, it was a case of literally letting go and just let go. Flew into tackles. You know what I mean? I was, I was, I was doing this normal stuff. And I thought he was going to, he thought he was going to start me, but put me on a bench. I was gutted. Yeah. I was gutted to be on the bench, if yeah, I'm yeah. totally honest. I, for some reason, I thought, like, I'm, I'm going to be fit, so I'm going to play. But these guys, they, they'd playing a system which was working. Yeah. And the only way I knew that I was going to play once I realised afterwards was coming off the bench. Yeah. Then he'd change it, and it went to 4-4-2. And then me and Brighty was up front. But um, I remember coming on as just being absolutely just vexed. If anyone sees my face... I was just vexed. Yeah. I was warming up without him even telling me to warm up after like 50-odd minutes. Yeah. In, in front of him. Just warming yeah. up, yeah. <laughs> run up and down. Yeah. When I come back, making a noise like... <laughs> going back. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa, Jesus. Can't get any warmer than that. <laughs> but like... Um, and it, so it kept going. Kept 70, 73 minutes I, I yeah. got on. What did he say to you before you went on? You know what? He, he, he just... Um, it was, he, he didn't say anything. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't really say anything, because I remember he used to call me Satch. And, like, I remember, because he must have thought I was warming up down there, but, like, when he went like that, I was right there. <laughs> 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 so, I went, I went, what? <laughs> right, and um, he said, right, you're going on. And he went, I just have one more warm-up. So you just go, oh, you go back down and you come back up, and then you come back. But it was really weird, because I didn't feel like anything special was happening. All I was thinking to myself was... I just want to go on because I want to go on at Wembley. It's the first time yeah. I'd ever been to Wembley. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever been to Wembley. And when you go on, it's spongy, Sidders. Mm. You know? It's spongy. And it was just like everything what I dreamt of. 
when I wanted to play at Wembley. It just, I felt it like, but then, then you oh, I couldn't, be- literally couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't went, believe it. I was in the living room watching it. Well, I was, was like... Couldn't believe it, Sillers. It was just like... And, and you know the thing is, is that when I was coming on, I said to myself, um, I'm not passing to anybody. Went back to my nine-year-old self. <laughs> as soon as I get on, I'm not passing to anybody. I'm getting the ball out of my feet. I'm having a shot. This is Wembley. Yeah. And I'm, this, this is the FA Cup final. I want to do something. But then what happens is, is that I come on, I'm running about, and then you get that second wind. So then you get it. it might, and then, what, like three minutes? I don't know what it was, but... The ball comes from Nigel Martin, and I'm, I know that Richard Shaw and um, Brian McClare kind of go for something, yeah. and it kind of bounces through to Brighton, and Brighton f- thing is, gets, it, gets it to me. So what, all I'm thinking is, right, right, get, this is me thinking I'm getting this to so I can get my shot. But then when I go like that, then I see Mike Phelan, so I have to go past him. And then as I've gone past him, Gary Pallister, you can just feel when somebody is just going mm. too quick. Yeah. Really, really poor defending from Pally. But I always thank him, thanks, Pally, you made me, Pally. <laughs> but, like, I knew he was coming too quick and he's so tall. So, as I went past Phelan, I went like that, then I cut it, cut it instantly, yeah. went back to my teacher. All I saw when Jim Layton was there, because I was on this angle, was just a lot of goal. Just saw a lot of goal. And even when I watch it now, it wasn't where I put it. I didn't think I put it enough. I didn't put enough curl on it. But, like, I put enough pace on it. That's what, that, that's what it was. Um, to the point where... I fell over when I hit it. You know what I mean? I wasn't happy with the actual... Yeah. But when it went in, Jesus Christ, it was like the explosion. That something happens in you that is it's very... It's unexplainable. You can't explain the explosion of um, adrenaline and ecstasy that goes off in you. And the only thing... And then my face was contorted. I, thought I, was, I felt like I was going to cry. And um, the only thing that stopped, stopped it was because people... They all bundled on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hate that. Do you? Yeah, oh God, because I, 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 all it just brought me back to a claustrophobic vibe. Of course. Wow. Right? So then what's happened is, is that, so then, so then, so I'm screaming for them to get off me. So when, I, when they get off me, I'm like, like, then you get up, then you realise where you are, and then you realise, go back to the halfway line, and then you realise, Jesus Christ, I've just scored in the FA Cup final. Mm. It must be so good. Honestly, yeah. you, you can't, you can't, it's that like, you know, as much as the Palace fans, they, they don't really deep down understand my love for Arsenal because they think it's just because I, when I went there. They don't realise when David Rowcastle went there in 82 yeah. Yeah. that the whole estate started to support Arsenal. So because of my affinity with Arsenal and everything what is Arsenal now and the global, uh, uh, the glo- global present that Arsenal have, that you have to, people want to hear more of you from you about Arsenal. Yeah. So that's something that gripes them. But my greatest moment was that moment. And if we had won that game... Um, for Palace, which they deserved. The fans were amazing that day. Yeah. It would have been my greatest moment because everything wow. would have culminated in for me getting there, getting my opportunity, Steve Coppola, winning the FA Cup, and then probably you move to Arsenal and then go and do your stuff. Yeah. But, like, obviously we didn't win it. Um, oh, I went to the replay. Did you go? I it was to, terrible game. I went to the replay and I cried. Yeah. I was down the other end because the, the Palace fans was mm. down the other end yeah. from where the players walked out at Wembley again. Mm. And I remember seeing the black and yellow the, the kit. The bumblebee kit. The mm. black and yellow kit. And I, I started crying because the kit, I was like, that's not, that's not What's the Palace. That's not the Palace kit. And then I was crying the whole, near enough the whole game and the whole way home as well because... It was, it was, a, it was a terrible... What, you, what, what we learned from that sitters, and you'll know, everybody knows, you'll know as well, Tubes, is when you have an opportunity to beat a Man United side like that, you only get it once. Mm. It was on the Saturday. We didn't realise. We thought that we were going to be able to to beat them in the second game. And I genuinely thought I was going to start the second game because 
I heard that if I started that second game, I probably would have went to Italian 90, which would have been amazing. But then, you know, you just think to yourself, well, I've done my bit there. Yeah. I've done my bit, but that would have been my best moment. Because I think back, and, and I've not had a moment like that since. Even after scoring, again, in the cup final for Arsenal, it's yeah. different because there's a different pressure on that game. That We were expected to win that game. Mm. Against, um, against Palace, it was still fairy tale. They had a fairy tale vibe about it. Felt like we were like well punching above our weight, whereas when we played against Sheffield Wednesday, we were going in as kind of like favourites to win it. So when I scored that goal, it was relief. How, how hard was that one? Because I remember the Sheffield Wednesday because you played them both in the League Cup final. Yeah, as well. And yeah, Grand yeah. Mads, Arsenal, Sheffield Wednesday, both Cup both finals. Both Cup finals, yeah. So the first, the first one. Yeah. Merce, header. Yeah, Merce. The first one was the header. The header. I remember in the, cup, in, the, in, the, in the League Cup, Merce scored the winner in that game. Yeah. But, my, but the first goal was, it's just like, it's such a beautiful goal, simply because, you know, my heading is something, again, you talk about working on stuff. And when I was younger, I didn't head the ball because I didn't like it. You know what I mean? It used to hurt my head and the ball used to ting. <laughs> so I used to stay away from... The just head. really didn't like, like I didn't used to like heading the ball. Wow. But then as, as time goes by, you have to learn to head. And so I learned to head and, you know, learned more. I used to close my eyes some of the times. I learned, that was, took a while to learn to head it with your, with your eyes open. Yeah. And so, for me, when I look back at that goal, Jesus Christ, I love that goal because if it come from the free kick, then it went Andy Linigan mm. over to me. And all I remember was just the textbook back where it's coming from. You know what I mean? Just back where it's coming from. And what I love about it was back where it's coming from, headed down in. It was just like, you don't realise while you're doing it because all I'm trying to do while I'm doing it is just edit back in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, to see it go into that, again... My, my face, when, um, yeah. when you look at m m the cup final goals, it's a different face, man. Yeah. But you were animated anyway, weren't oh, you? Geez. So, like, to lift it to that, it's, it's like you must be absolutely it's, buzzing. It's amazing because it's the dream. It's the, it's, it's the actual dream to score in a cup final. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's unbelievably great players who have not even played in them. But to score in one, you know, and then you score in another one. You know what I mean? It's, 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 I, you, I can't get over... Um, the emotion that just that just charges through you, you know. It's, um, I, you know what I, I I really used to think about is scoring a goal in it and and losing it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's worse when you lose when you yeah. scored in it. Kind of take something away. That's why the the first game was easier to take because we drew it. Right. But if we lost it, it would have been it would have been even harder to take. But to score in it and you win. It's amazing. And especially coming on the sub as coming well. Coming on the sub, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Palace one. It would have been like, because I think that Palace and what we'd done with the team that Steve Koppel built from the time I got there, 85 to 90. Brilliant team. You know, Mark Bright, with everything that Mark Bright done for me, Jeff Thomas came through, Andy Gray. We just had a very, very mm. good team. Nigel Martin, the first million-pound goalkeeper. Um, you know, I always blame Nigel Martin and Gary O'Reilly. <laughs> I heard that Nigel Martin's looking for me because every time I mention it, I say, yeah, it's their fault. <laughs> you know, Gary, I heard that Nigel Martin keeps sending messages, right, he stops saying it's my fault. You know, every time I see the guy, I say, where are you going? What are you coming out for? And then Sparky scores. But it would have been a good moment. That's the point I'm making because I think that Palace deserves something in that time, yeah. that Steve Coppel time. It was a brilliant time. So the replay, mm. Sheffield, Sheffield wins your replay. Mm. You score. Yeah. What, you a, see, what, the, was... what a finish that is, by the way. It's an unbelievable... I remember, again, I went to that one. Mm, yeah. 
didn't really support us all the time. Yeah. It was just going there because it was because righty was playing. <laughs> went, again, I was at the far end, and yeah. the goal was down where the down tunnel the was, end. and it was pissing down the rain. Was it? It was slick, and the yeah. keeper come out, and you just caught a little just glimpse. Caught, yeah, but you know the thing with that one as well, Silas, is what was good about that one again is um, I remember when it, when it came through, uh, it came through from Alan Smith. And so when I went through, I cut across, I can't remember, was it Cotton Palmer or Warhurst? But I feel that one of my touches weren't good. And the problem I had with that touch was Chris Woods came and stopped, kind of like came and shuffled, gave me the time to get back on it. And it gave me just enough time where, again, I was able to... Because what a lot of players try to do is they try to hit the goal when the goalie's here. You don't need to hit the goal, you need to just beat the goalkeeper here. So you've got this to play with because when you get past here the goal's that big mm. so all I was thinking was once I got through to him because he started is to get past him and then that's going to roll in and what's beautiful about doing that is when you have that couple of steps then you dink it over him is that people at the back they don't know it's gone in yeah. I know it's gone yeah. in so you have a moment where it's just purely yours until the noise kicks in because they see it hit the net but once it went past him I knew it was in so that's when I ran off, and then you wait for the. That must be that's quite a surreal. Sort unbelievable, of feeling. because like every because when when they see me go through, then they see the. Yeah. Then it goes. That's the moment you see. So you get that moment, nice. and so in that moment, I know I've scored, but you have to wait for it to happen, yeah. and then. I remember turned around and ran that way, here, and uh, you just it was just the Arsenal fans were just it was like. Okay, you know that World War Z, that Brad, when they're trying to climb? It felt like you, that's all you could see. You just seen bodies stuff like everywhere. That. And I didn't know how to do that celebration because I was trying to do something and turn around and spin and do it. But Kevin Campbell grabbed me, so he, he stopped me mid-celebration. But I was just, I remember I was just screaming. Yeah. Because the, the, the thing with that finish was there was a lot of time to think about it. And those are the ones that I used to work on a lot in training. The ones that you have to think about because when you're on your way down there, because remember, Alan Smith flicked it on and then around the halfway line. And there's a lot of time to think. There's a lot of time to get that touch wrong. There's, you know that the goalkeeper's waiting for a bad touch. And I thought I did a bad touch. And if anybody watches it, you'll see exactly where I thought the bad touch was because he comes and then he stops. And then that was it. He gave me another chance and bam, I finished it. It was beautiful because I think Wembley... At night, the yeah. week was it was it's much better. Noise, everything feels different. And how did you find the, the step up from Palace going to Arsenal? The step up and the pressure. Yeah, it was um, it was quite intimidating yeah. because they were champions um, like two times out of the last three years, weren't they? Eighty nine, mm. ninety one. And so when I went in the dressing room, you know, I I, I got to say from from then, I didn't think it was going to take me another seven years to win the league again. If I'm being totally honest. But we went through some a real, we went through some fallow years, which was um, which was really quite hard. We finished tenth and twelfth, but we won cups. Didn't want to be a cup team, um, but like when I went in there, it was intimidating. Yeah, you know. What's what your mean? first day like? First day was intimidating because I remember I kept giving the ball away in the kind of the, the Rondo thing, mm. and they kept me going in there, and they were saying things like, "What? How much?" <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. Because you get judged very quickly, didn't you? That's yes. Difficult. And the thing is, I was very nervous. Touch was off some of the times. You know what I mean? <laughs> touch, was, touch was terrible. <laughs> yeah. you know, could you, if I'm you're not, bricking it, like yeah, you're nervous, it's going to ping off you, isn't it? You know what I mean? And yeah. then you've got people like 
like Perry Groves and you know what I mean and, and Tony Adams and that take it oh, what have we paid for him and like stuff like that and like you know you laugh <laughs> you laugh sinners but deep down you're thinking Jesus Christ if I don't score in the first couple of games or something yeah. and you're I'm training that badly because I never ever trained half-heartedly when, if I'm having a bad touch of training my, if I'm a shit it's a shit touch right it's not like because I'm not trying yeah, yeah. it's just rubbish and because I always I, I use training as this is this is it. Right. Sometimes I used to just train as the time went by, just purely left foot, everything receive everything with the left foot as well. I used to do it at Palace simply because it would help me to retain the ball and that first touch thing I was always worried about. So I was trying all that stuff, it would bounce off me because playing a bit a different calibre of defender now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've gone from Gary O'Reilly to Tony Adams, Steve Bold, yeah. Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn, and then the goalkeeper behind them. It was tough to score goals in training. You know, so, you know, when you play against, like, who did we play? Leicester first, who scored in that game. Then yeah. uh, Southampton scored a hat-trick. Yeah. So, after that, at training, doesn't matter. <laughs> How much? <laughs> <laughs> I used to say, when I started scoring and doing my stuff, because the ball would still bounce off me and stuff like that. Yeah. When you're training with them, the margin for error was slight. Right. And you find that. I found it at international level as well. And Arsenal, they kind of like, I, I got acclimatised to the fact that you can't afford to have that bad touch. So when I got there, I still had my Crystal Palace kind of like head on where I could maybe have a half, half a bad touch, but then I'd get there before Gary O'Reilly because I'm sharper than him or get there before Andy Thorne. But like when you're, when you're doing it against Tony Adams, Dick Dicko and all that, your touch is bad, bam, it's towed away. You know, you do a, touch, a bad touch against Des Walker, bam, it's towed away. Yeah. They're on the attack as well, depending on how good the team mm. is. So those are the things. Yeah. That you're, now, that you're now focusing on. And so what I found was when I played against those teams who weren't as tight, but my, I was tighter in the match game. I played a lot better in the match day than training. I, I found that I had more time, more time to finish. Wow. But when they saw the hat-trick against Southampton, it was, it was beautiful when I went yeah. back in the dressing room, got a round of applause. You know what I mean? Sign that for us, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet the nerves straight away, like all of like panic. I was worried, against, yeah. Tubes, because um, going to a club like Arsenal and having to deliver was what I was more afraid of than anything else. Is you see strikers go to clubs and it just doesn't happen. Mm. I'm even nervous for strikers now. Someone like Timo Werner now, I, I, mm. it makes me nervous watching him because you want a striker to get his goal, get himself going, score, do his thing. Um, so. That was my biggest worry. And when I see strikers going through it, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible thing to watch. You say you had a nervous and like a, a, a real nervous inner energy, but when you signed for Arsenal, obviously Rocky was there as well. Mm. So he must have been one saying, obviously them players know you're a good player. Yeah, they're fine. So he must be going, listen, right, just yeah. do your thing. Man. That's just exactly just... what he said, Siders. He said, don't worry about them idiots. But the thing is, is that they, they, they were, it was all jovial, it was all jokes. Yeah. I've never been in such a together dressing room. We were so tight, everybody was so tight, that's why we had to do what we had to do. We had to go to the club, on the Tuesday club, and everybody had to be together. Yeah. We were a very tight unit. That's why I was very surprised at a time where we didn't challenge more in that time, because we were very together. Mm. And you see that it was the same core of players that when Arsene Wenger came, he took over and we went on to do stuff because we wasted those years, if you ask me. But it was like Rocky, because he was a very, he was a very influential player in the dressing room. And I was his guy, he's looking out for me. Yeah. He was fine, he was looking out for me. 
And the banter that was getting thrown, like was getting thrown about was the kind of banter you'd have to expect. Because what they were doing, and what I found and what I learned very early at Arsenal, you can't, you, you can't really, you can't play badly. I, I realised that you can't miss chances. Not really, you can't really miss chances. Um, and, you know, I didn't get a lot of praise from George Graham. It's only once we stopped playing and he'd done an interview um, saying that when he bought Ian Wright, I wanted to buy the finished article. I couldn't believe I heard him say it. Because in all the time, even when I scored the hat-trick at Southampton, oh. he never even said congratulations. Never even said congratulations, well done, good day. Did that, did that drive you all or two? <clears throat> yeah, because he was, a, yeah, he was somebody that you, you didn't get a lot of um, recognition from in respects of well done. Yeah. Apart from Tony Adams, you loved yeah. him. And Dave Seaman. You know, Dave Seaman would be in gold, like, you know, we'd, we'd be shooting and Dave Seaman would go like that. And like, he's not trying. And then the boss would say, David, come on. <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, Dave Seaman started, no one could score. And like, you know what I mean? And uh, with Tony as well, Tony was his guy. But I think that with me, I felt like he always felt like for some reason he had to, he had to keep, him, keep, you know, the carrot and the stick kind mm -hmm. of vibe with me. Didn't get a lot of love off of him, but I loved him so much. I wanted to impress him so much. And like I say, when I heard him say that in the video, um, when I stopped playing, I couldn't believe it. He thought that I was the finished article. Yeah. And all I was doing when I got there was trying to work hard to become wow. the finished article. Yeah. So it worked from his point of view. <laughs> but I still believe that if I done, if I was a manager, I wouldn't manage in that style. Mm. I was going to say, was it extra hard for you because of your upbringing and you didn't have this sort of father <clears> figure <throat> who would say, well done, Ian, well Maybe. done? Maybe it's true. You want, you're constantly looking for appraisal, appreciation, appraisal, yeah. appreciation from that kind of figure. Yeah. You know, somebody that, you know what I mean, is giving you something mm. so you can feel, ah, oh, cheers. And yeah, choose. Probably that might be something that might feed into that. Um, were, people, were people aware, though? Were managers um, aware of that? Not really. Right? No. No, they weren't aware of that. Even at the time, I probably wasn't aware myself that I'm looking for his, like, his blessing mm. because, you know, he's the person I'm trying to please most. You know, somebody that I didn't have myself in my life to, mm. to get that from and try to do. So, yeah, probably, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I un unknowingly was doing. And so all the time I would do it from a place of like anger, right, I'll, I'll show you. You know what I mean? Whether you like it or not, bam, here. You know what I mean? Because people used to say things like, yeah, you want, right, Kevin Campbell used to tell me he's, he's desperate to take you off. Stu, get his number. Get, get his number. <laughs> and then, bam, you do a couple of bits. You chase people down, you score a goal, and then he has to put the number down. Kevin Campbell used to tell me that all the time. So it was always a case of trying to impress this man. Mm. And it's only when he left, you know what I mean, he gave me all the love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which probably, from his point of view, worked for him because he got the best out of me. So, so we left. Bruce Riott will mm. skip them years and mm. go to Arsene Wenger. Yeah. Come in, did he give you that kind of figure that was what you needed? Because it was only two years after that, yeah. near enough, that you won the double, yeah. Premier League and the FA Cup. Yeah. So did he, did, he come, did he sort of bring that different approach Yes, man. It was like, <laughs> it was like going from... Is that what like, you needed as Absolutely. Well? Yeah. At that stage of my life, I think I was just turning 32 as well. And it was at that stage of my life, I felt good, I felt fit, I felt strong. His methods and everything made me feel even better. But like, he just loved, he was just like a... a, a a nice old granddaddy kind of like, yeah, yeah. No, he wasn't that old, but he yeah. had that kind of, that loving fatherly figure Feel, kind yeah. of guy that just wanted you to do the best you can. Talk to you, no shouting. It was beautiful, it was a pleasant environment that I needed at that stage. I couldn't keep doing the, 
oh, I'm going to prove him wrong again. I'm going in angry. He's doing things in training to wind you up, you know what I mean, to get you going and stuff like that. You know, he didn't do any of that. He just gave you praise mm. all the time. You know what I mean? He didn't talk for a long time at halftime. It was really strange at the start because for 10 minutes he wouldn't say a word. And that was strange when you, you, know, you come in with someone like a George Graham and the other managers, especially if you haven't done well. But George Graham, even if you had done well, yeah. he, wants you to, he wants to bring you back down so that you could go out and go again, nil-nil, so to speak, in the second half. But like, he would come in, he wouldn't say anything, and you'd be able to just chill, relax for a while. It was quite confusing at the start, like I say. But then, once, once he came in at the last five minutes, all he would say is, I love when you did this. This is good, this is good for us. He'd speak to people, say that little bit, like two, three minutes, and you go out, you just feel like amazing. And this is why the latter stages of his uh, time at Arsenal, I, I said, and I said it, and I, and I stand by it, the players, they took his kindness for weakness. And that's why Arsenal faded away like they did and people spoke about us like they did, like, yeah, the weak mentality, no accountability, stuff like that. Because the players took the kind of persona that he had and took the piss out of it, for me. Um, whereas we, we thrived off of it because we wanted to, we wanted to, to, to show him that we, as, as men, we can, we can react and we can respond to that kind of motivation. He was a breath of fresh air. Did you feel like there was definitely a change? Obviously, I know from the managers before, but did you realise that silverware was going to come as quick as it did? No. No, really? No. But, like, what I, what I did realise was how much fitter, how much stronger we were. Yeah. Obviously, Dennis was there, Patrick came, you know, Nicholas came in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody's revitalised. We've got an unbelievable training regime. You know what I mean? Uh, it, was, it was brilliant. The food, the nutrition, the, everything that was going on, we were being we were being primed. Mm. And then what you found is that when we started to play against these teams, we were blasting them away with, um, with our fitness and our football and everything. You know, we were, we were just amazing. What I saw come after me, after 98, and knew was coming. Yeah. That's, so, so, that so, so, happened, so 98, so obviously won the FA Cup yeah. again in 98. Yeah. So it was mm. obviously different contrast feelings yeah. from the elations from scoring in yes. previous ones. So how, how was that day? That was, that was, yeah, but the thing with me is that it was, um, it wasn't, it, I didn't actually, I didn't get on in that one. Yeah. So it was, it was, um, I, and the thing about it is, is I, it's only, I probably, when we got to the, when we got to the 75th minute in that, you start to realise you're, you're not getting on here. Mm. And it's, it's really strange because the night when we was doing our celebrations and everything was going on, Arsene Wenger apologised to me for not putting me on. And I should have seen that as a sign because he never done anything like that. And what that said to me was, I'm, prob he's pro I'm probably on my way out because he didn't give me the opportunity to maybe um, leave by saying yeah. bye to the fans or yeah. something. So I didn't realise it then because obviously I joined West Ham after that. But it was a strange situation because at no stage did I think I weren't coming on. Mm. But like, it didn't make no difference to me. You know what I mean? Got my medal. Yeah. Made sure I was right amongst it when they're taking the photos with the cup. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever, and this is what I say to people, never put on a substitute's tracksuit <laughs> when you've won the cup. Because the years to come, people say, oh, was you sub? You just have your normal shirt on. You say, so they won't even ask if you played. You've just got your normal shirt on. I was celebrating as if I played. Because for me, it didn't make no difference. Arsenal won the cup and I was a part of that team, so... I was quite happy with that, but it's a different kind of, obviously it's a different kind of vibe because you've not actually played a part in 
the winning of that particular yeah. game against Newcastle. So it was different, but still the medal, again, it was just the day for me. Yeah. Among the day and everything. And I was the one who was in charge of the suits and everything for that what, day. Were yeah. you? Yeah. So it was up to you to like, <coughs> yeah, well, yeah, did you design them? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was involved in the suits, done black, I think Hugo Boss, we had hush puppy shoes on. Nice grey colour tiger. <laughs> that was my vibe. It was a hot day as well. It was a hot day, yeah. It was a bad, bad, bad colour choice. <laughs> <laughs> and then, obviously, how hard was it for you to leave Arsenal, where you were absolutely yeah, adored? Yeah, I was devastated because I think it was it was one of those situations where I knew he, he kind of wanted me to leave, but if I stayed, it would be awkward. Um, West Ham were West Ham were great. It was brilliant. Um, to go there, but like it was devastating to leave Arsenal, mm. and like you, you do understand when people say, "Yeah, I, I wasn't the same after that." I genuinely thought I was going to finish my career. I, I had about um, 14 months at West Ham, which were really good because they they finished fifth in that season, and it was a really good bunch of lads. And the West Ham fans, after after the first few games, they were bang on because mm. I scored a few goals and everything was cool, and we had a great season that season. So the West Ham fans were fine. They knew that I was Arsenal, but they, they yeah, but saw I that I was doing... But I think people appreciated you because well, you hoping. showed your passion. Well, yeah. exactly, Tubes. And the mm. thing is with the West Ham fans is that I meet them now and they still, you know what I mean? They, they say, you're a, legend, you're a legend, but only because you're a West Ham. You know what <laughs> I mean? Which, I'll take that. I yeah. don't mind that. But like the fact is, is that they, they, me coming from Arsenal, it would have been tough for them because they're thinking that you're going for that last bit of payday or whatever it is. Yeah. But the fact is, is that I went there and I, was, I still had a point to prove because I was still in the England squad. Still in the England squad when I went there. So I was still playing my stuff, still scoring goals. And I think when you start, again, you get very nervous yeah. um, when you go to a club because they, I'm going there and they want me there to score. Mm. And I remember we went, the first game, Sheffield Wednesday. I love Sheffield yeah, Wednesday. Right? Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday has been great to me. <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday, man. Oh, um, yeah. You know what I mean? So our first game, 6,000 West Ham fans got up to Sheffield Wednesday for my first game. Yeah. We beat them 1-0 and I yeah. scored. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Again, that's the kind of moment, you know what I mean, with young Frank, young Rio in the team, young Mike Carrick, all those guys in and around the place. It was brilliant. And so when you start like that, the West Ham fans instantly. So when we went, we played, the next game was at home to Wimbledon, sport the party, scored two. They scored like four, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like the West Ham fans kind of realised that, yeah, I'm here to play. So they didn't have no problem with it. But the point I was trying to make, and I've made it long-winded, is I, I believe that once I stopped playing at Arsenal, something went out yeah. because I genuinely thought I was going to retire at Arsenal because it was going to be that season, then the next season, then I would have just stopped playing. So that was quite a tough one to take because in the end, I kind of had a nomadic kind of like ending because I'd done that West Ham and then the next season, West Ham, then I got injured, so I was out for a while. Then I went to Forest on loan. Then while I was at loan at Forest, um, Celtic came in. That was another unbelievable experience. It didn't go great because John Barnes didn't work out for John Barnes. But my experience of playing for Celtic, again, a club that I admired simply because of Kenny Dalglish, Danny McGrain way back mm. in the day. Celtic was my team. I just loved the kit as well when I was a kid. Um, and so playing for Celtic for that little time was fantastic. Scored on my debut there. That was brilliant. You love a debut goal. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? It was fantastic. We played, I think it was, was it Ivernian or Kilmarnock? One of them. We beat them 4-5-1. It was brilliant. And then that didn't work out. And then I went to my old, um, I went to Burnley. Because, like, I was going to just stop playing at, yeah. after Celtic. 
But then Stan Turner, who was fantastic for me at Palace. Glenn Lit was there, wasn't he? The yeah, oh, man, what Blakey. guy. <laughs> Blakey. <laughs> the crazy old thing he is. But the thing with him is, the thing with Stan was, he just said, listen, I've got a really, I think it was the second division, so the first, it was the second division Burnley were in. And um, he said, I've got an unbelievable bunch of guys. And I think that we've got a really good chance of, um, of going up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just want you in and around, in the dressing room, come in, you know what I mean? I, I play you, you play when you want, if you want to play. Just, and I, so I, I remember, I said, you know what, Stan? Yeah, I'll come. Because Stan, and a lot of the stuff that I had to learn, remember I was talking about learning at yeah. Palace? Yeah. He taught it me. Yeah. Stan was the coach who'd stay out with me and do my stuff, Stan Turner. So well, I said, it's like a big, long yeah. circle. So it's a massive circle, oh, and I ended man. up with, with Stan. And that, what was good about Stan is that I could literally, it was like, the father of, <laughs> yeah. son of Stan, I could literally do anything. <laughs> as long as I turned up there on time, I could literally do anything. There was a session, we had a session, where it was a, a session one time, and no one was allowed to tackle, but I was going around tackling everyone. And then I remember Ronnie Jepson tackled someone. <laughs> And Stan said, what are you effing doing? He said, what's well, right? He's tackling everyone. He said, get in. He said, get in. And he said, well, I'm right. He's been tackling. You know what I mean? I got away with murder. But the thing was, I remember when I, like, the debut for, for Burnley against Wigan was tough. It's the hardest one. It's so tough. I think we drew nil-nil. I didn't score for about five, six games. But somebody said, didn't bother. I, I weren't bothered. Right. You know what I mean? I set up a couple of things and stuff like that. But the first game I scored in was Gillingham them away. And I said to Stan, I said to him, no, don't start me. I said, I think he might have started um, Andy Payton. I think Andy Payton might have started. I said, no, I'll start him. I'll, I'll, fine. I'll, just, I'll come off the bench. Came off the bench. We were losing 2-1. Scored, made it 2-2. And then I think the next game, a couple of games, then we had to play Reading at home. We needed to win the game. Came off the bench, scored the winner. You know what I mean? I think we went down to Brentford. Came on, scored. I think I started that game, scored the winner. So in the end, we ended up, we went up. Um, and it was, for me, it was a fitting end mm. to my career. The stick that I was getting from them fans. Because remember, it's only, it's not even eight <laughs> months, nine months. Yeah. I was in the, in the Premier League. The stick, yeah. I was like, yeah, great. What a fall from yeah. grace, right? <laughs> Look at the size of your arse. Stuff like that, they would say. But it was... It was like a, it was kind of like a nice farewell kind of kind of tour, but the fact that we won and went up was yeah. just like icing on the cake. Great way to end. Yeah, because Stan wanted me to he wanted me to stay again for when we went up. Like I couldn't I couldn't do it. I was tired. I felt like I um, didn't have my ankle was really starting yeah. to cause me major problems. Probably could have done it again, but that, I thought no, no, no. And then the television, that's when I, yeah. the television was beckoning, I was doing that, that Friday night show. And so I thought, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. And I thought, it's time, I finished on a high. And that was, that was brilliant. And with Stan, it was fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I just want to finish on Brad and, yeah. and Sean. My guys, bro. Yeah, like your love, boys, you know, following but, in the footsteps. Mm, of, but the thing is, I remember, like I said to you, like when they were younger, both exceptional when they yeah. were younger, to the point where, People used to ask me about him. Sean was unbelievable. I, you know, he could dribble. He, he, so he, quick. Just so quick, yeah. dribble, bouncy man. He would call him the rubber man. He's quick he'd, and everything. He'd, he'd run, bounce, and then carry and bounce. Just get and, and yeah. back up and carry Honestly, and go. Just go like that. And I remember Brad, when he was younger, he's touching his awareness for a front man. Like, you know what I mean? He, he had that naturally. 
And I think maybe that's going through the system or whatever it was, but he was very good, the link-up player. And all I ever said to them was, you know, don't give the ball away. If you want to play at the higher level you want to go, don't give the ball away. You get an opportunity to shoot, hit the target and pass to your teammates. That's the most I ever said to them. But for me, um, the proudest moment in my life, especially with everything what I've been through, adopting Sean, bringing him on and everything what happened with him, for him to get through in the end, when I saw him score, when I was there up in Newcastle, he scored against Ukraine on his debut. Yeah. The greatest moment of my life. Oh, amazing. Greatest moment of my life, right up there with me being on the bus after signing. Mm. Because the tribulations with him when he was younger, the amount of tears and that, because he was so small when he was younger. You know what I mean? It was, um, it was very tough for him. So for him to come through and him being the guy that... You know, my life kind of changed off of the back of him and, and, and adopting Sean and making sure that he got the right start and everything. And for my son to go on to do that, honestly, it just doesn't get any better than that. So I have two boys able to play in the Premier League like they did and go on to have good careers, great careers. You know, Sean, you know, constantly telling me about he's got three more caps and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Because he's out of order. <laughs> saying that. Um, but it's quite mad though, that, isn't it? The generation of family playing Premier League football. You, Bradley, yeah. Sean. Yeah. And now, now Sean's, Sean's boy. Yeah, Demarge. Yeah. Demarge at Stoke. Like, yeah. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, is that um, we've, we've been fortunate in that respect. And it is tough. You know, it's a tough industry to get into, Sid, as you know, um, in respects of getting to the top and playing at that level. It takes a lot of hard work and dedication. That's what we're making sure that DiMaggio gets now. His focus is, has to be on football. How much more can I do to make sure that I've not left no stone unturned to make sure that I get where I want to be, whatever level I can get to? How much have I worked to make sure that happens? All hard work for myself, Sean, Bradley, DiMaggio, is hard work and sacrifice that gets there. If you're fortunate enough to have... As, um, a son who gets to play, you know what I mean. The main thing is is to is to not drown them with football, you know, letting them play from a young age. Some of the times I used to say, no, nope, no football this weekend. Yeah, we're not going to just we're going to do something. We're just going to chill and. Let's, and be like, <laughs> so that, that but that really interests me that you. Yeah, no football, man. Sometimes just like just relax. You know what I mean? Like let the team get um, let the team play without them. They're fine. Wow. Nothing's going to happen because what you want them to understand is is that um, as much as football is there for everybody to play, and it's great that everybody can play, sometimes, you know what I mean, have a break from it. Because I think a lot of kids, we're talking about being involved with academies from the age of eight, yeah. and stuff younger, whatever yeah. it is. And sometimes you, you need to be able to do something else so as you can know that they still love it. And yeah. they loved it, though. Mm. They loved it. You know what I mean? But what, I'm, I'm worried about kids being involved from eight to 16, mm. and they don't... And, and, they get to 16 and it's just it's too much. Out. It's burnout, out, man. Yeah. It's too much. Some of the times, it just stop them from playing. Not yeah. playing. No football today, man. Just chill, man. No football today. It's fine. You'll be all right. You know what I mean? And then they'll want to play. They'll want to play and they'll keep playing. You don't want it driven out of them because parents have a love for it to the point where they want their kids to be footballers. There's something in between that 8 to 16, 18, what we need to be we need to be um, making sure that we keep an eye on with kids and the amount of kids we're losing to the game because of the fact that they're playing so much football and the pressure that they're getting from parents or wherever it is, it's not right for kids of that age. Really, really interesting. Take on it, mate, and that whole chat was top class. Mr Ian Wright, thank you very, thank much. You very much. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. So good, mate. So good. Thank you.
Lovely stuff. Incredible to hear about his life and times in football and the generations of his family following him through the game. Such a special conversation with Wrighty and huge thanks to him for coming on Lifting the Lid on the official Emirates FA Cup podcast and making our day. Next week is the last episode of this run of Lifting the Lid, but we're going out with a bang. We've got Stan Collymore speaking with us about decisions. So make the right decision and come back to us for that one, as it's going to be a cracker. As ever, if you haven't already, hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying yourself, then give us a rating and review. We'd be very grateful. Thanks for listening. See you next week.